Amen. Cool. Oh, it's good to be back. Love being here. Um, thank you for inviting me back. Um, it's good that there is a real sense of peace here tonight, actually. I felt when, you know, when I felt the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit come, there's a, there's a peace here. I know I'm shattered and I'm tired, so, so I'm a bit more chilled out than I would normally be, but there is a peace here. Um, for me, then maybe that's what the Holy Spirit's just laying on me as, as Ruth prayed, that whatever we need from the Holy Spirit, he comes and gives us what we need. And maybe just peace for me was the thing that, that he's given me right now, which is cool. So this might be a bit more chilled out. It won't be. I'll probably get dead excited, as usual. Um, but for now, it's peaceful. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk a little bit about church. Woo, as we're here. <laughs> Woo, might as well. Because... Um, I live and hope we've been talking a little bit about church and what is church and trying to rediscover what church is and what, what its purpose is and what's the point of it all. Why do we do it? And um, I realised that just going through the notes of, of the last like six or seven weeks from our church, there's a load of stuff here which, which I think would be really good for you guys to be reminded of. So first off, some of this stuff may not be a new, fresh revelation of like, oh, that's what church is about. But actually, sometimes a word into your life is a word of reminder, actually. And actually, we need to be reminded of the things that we already know, but have been locked away in a dirty cupboard in our brains somewhere, and we've forgotten about them. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the fundamentals. That's why we sing songs of like these songs over and over again, and we sing the words again, because it's a good reminder. Reminders are good. Repetition is good um, for our brains as human beings. We, we like repetition. So if this stuff isn't a revelation to you, then that's cool because it's good to be reminded of Jesus' plan for his church. Um, in my new job uh, at Open Doors, I'm experiencing church in, in really weird and bizarre different ways now because I get to go up and down the country and speak to lots of different churches about, um, about persecution and speak to them about how they can get involved with helping their family around the world. And um, I get to see church from a very different point of view. Um, I was at Soul Survivor 10 days ago speaking to Soul 61 crew, which is really cool, speaking to those guys. And I ended up, there are not many jobs where you could end up the end of your day being prayed for by 24 teenagers in the girls' toilets of Soul Survivor Church. I'm just going to leave that with you there. I'm not going to explain why I was in the girls' toilets with 2014 age, but I was, and I got prayed for and prophesied over in the toilets at Soul Survivor Church. That was after beating Tom Smith at table tennis. So um, that's enough of the plugs of random Christmas Christian C-list celebrities um, that I know now because of my job. But church is diverse, is kind of what I'm getting at. <laughs> Our experience of church... Is, is diverse and the church itself is diverse it's different uh, whatever church we walk into it has its own nuance it has its own flavor it has its own taste um, and PHCC is no exception I love the fact that I come here because I get something different here than I do from my church and that's good every time we go to different churches we get something different we actually shut down our service Two weeks ago, and we went to the C of E church on the Russell's Hall estate in Dudley, and we met there. And they say words that I don't think anyone else says apart from church people. Like every other word, I was like, huh, what? But God was there. Like we shared the, the bread and the wine, and instead of it being, it being kind of weak Ribena and some white bread from Tesco, 
it was proper crackers and consecrated red uh, red wine, and we knelt at the front. We knelt at the altar, and we you know we weren't allowed to touch the cup, um, but it was it was a beautiful experience. And we lit candles, and we we said a creed together that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago that millions of people read, say over and over again every week. And it was a beautiful experience. It was different. It was unnerving because I actually didn't understand a lot of what was going on but God was still there church is beautiful church is different church is brilliant in its diversity church is not meant to be uniform but it is meant to be united yeah so we're after unity not uniformity does that make sense it's great the church is beautiful in its diversity but we're not all meant to be the same Actually, we're meant to be appealing to our culture. That's what church is. We're meant to be kind of a, a little snippet of the area that we're in. We reflect the area that we live in. I love it. And I didn't want to say any of that, but I just have done. Just a note on the love your enemies thing. That verse has smacked me right in the face this week. Like long before London, um, just when I was reflecting at high. Oh, media world. Aren't we in a media world? Right, so... Um, I was uh, looking at that, the Luke verse particularly, where it says, love your enemies. And, and Jesus is kind of saying, you've heard it said, love your neighbours, but I go one step further, love your enemies. And kind of, I don't know what you talked about this morning, how you reflected on it, but the thing that hit me the most was that it didn't stop there. The verse doesn't stop there. Actually, the memes that we have are love your enemies, click, stop, just job done. And that, and it, but it only tells half the story. Because in Luke, it then says, do good to those who hate you. <sighs> That's hard. Do good to those who hate you is a hard thing because that's basically that's the practical application of love your enemies. And it forces you into thinking this isn't just a heart and a head thing. This is a practical outpouring. Love is a verb, to quote a really old 90s hip-hop track. Put in love is a verb into Google and enjoy what Christian music was like in the early 90s. Um, but love is a verb, right? Love is a doing word. Love is practical. So when it says love your enemies, it's not just in my heart and my head I love my enemies. Actually, no, it says go do good to them. We've seen loads of people responding in great, beautiful love on the streets whenever um, things have happened. Um, in, the, in Manchester and in London, we've seen whole swathes of people step out into the streets and give love to people. But kind of Jesus is saying, yeah, okay, love your neighbours, which is what that is. What about loving your enemies? I was first responder at a um, car accident, I know I've told you about this before, but I tend to be at car accidents quite a lot, completely inconsequent, like, it's not me that causes them, right, I just, I end up being there first, like, before the ambulance is done, quite a lot, at least once a year um, I get stops, I stop and I have to kind of help people out, and there was this one accident where it's clear, it was quite a bad accident on the motorway, where there was a flip out and a roll, and a family of five in the car and we got them out of the car they were, they were shocked but amazingly uninjured uh, 70 mile an hour crash and roll and it was quite clear that there was a woman in another car that had cut the other car up that caused the accident quite clear that it was her fault and very very quickly you saw the crowd gravitate towards the family of the victims and ostracise and start saying I smell alcohol on her breath her fault, her fault, she did it. And very quickly, they isolated her, who had just been in an accident herself at 70 miles an hour, who was shocked as anyone else. 
But everyone was around the family and not around the woman who, yes, you caused the accident. I made a choice to actually sit with her and make sure she was okay. Check her over for, for injuries because no one had done that. And it was quite clear that it's easy to love our neighbours, but it's really hard to love our enemies. It's really hard to love our enemies. Anyone that thinks this Christian ride is an easy one, it's not. Because Jesus makes it very inconvenient for us because he challenges us day and again. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say, do nice stuff as the church. He doesn't say, just kind of rock up on a Sunday, hug your, hug your mates, have a chat, sing some songs, worship Jesus, go home again. Actually, Jesus makes it really inconvenient for us because there's a bigger reason why the church exists. I'm going to explore a few little bits of that. But first, I'm going to read you a poem. Here we go. Yeah, poem. That's right. Okay. Whether we know it or not, want to be or not, we are the church and the church is us. The covenant sign sealed, revealed. The strip is designed home and away with three cord stripes down the front and a cross on the back. We are those that will pursue the presence and experience the power to rush into the meeting place and turn it into a sacred space. For where we are, there is the bride. With the groom standing proudly alongside, we are a vision of beauty, a masterpiece on display for close inspection. We are an antidote to loneliness. We are the broken body sent to those with broken bodies. We are imperfect signs to the source of perfection, the one whose hand fixes the write-offs, the category C risky damaged goods made perfect in his sight. We are beneficiaries of the ultimate sacrifice. We are diversely different but also the same. We are united but stood in different uniforms, spread across to every corner made from the fabric of local cut cloth called to serve the streets from the inner city to the burbs and the leafy lockdown gated communities, called to prop open the door for those with no home, to stagger in and find a space in the house. For his house has many rooms, with many seats, beds and impressive spreads, space enough for all of us and more, a place, a life, an eternity prepared, called to give all, share all, lose all, so that others might gain what we can't lose. Nameless ones, identities and reputations left at Golgotha's wastelands. So we run into the streets, inviting all the houseless lost ones, call them refugees, if you will, that we meet. Come to the table. Come, eat, drink, so that you will never again thirst, for we are church, and the church is us. I'm a Man United fan. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. And I'm a part of a thing called United We Stand, and essentially it's a fan group and they exist on YouTube, they have a website, and every single match, these fans flock to United We Stand, and they, they examine the match to the tiniest detail, to the length of the grass, to how much pressure was in the ball, to, to whatever, like they just analysed, and like to really how bad is Fellaini, and we, we kind of, we, we do that every, all the time, and we're, we're part of this thing called United We Stand, because we love Man United. You know what? They would consider themselves, I'm not a super fan like that, but I love it, I'm, in, I'm interested in, in, in the fans' opinions. It's called United We Stand, because for them, for those fans, 
they are as much a part of United as the people that play on the pitch every week. They are as much a part of the team. See, being part of the club, being part of the fan base, they want to be, feel like they are part of something bigger than themselves. Us, together, unity, body, group, movement, plural. These, these things are attractive to us as human beings. There's something that way God has wired us that we like being together. There's a reason why we're not all still living in isolated homes miles and miles apart from each other because generally we like living together as society. Church is the same. So if you consider yourself a part of Primrose, then most of you, uh, for most of you, all of this stuff will not come as a surprise. But you are part of the church, and the church is you. Colossians 1.24 says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Like Paul riffs on the body quite a lot. He talks about the body. We are the body together as church. But this is just a clarification in that verse that actually what he means is the church. When he calls it the body, it's the church. It's the bride of Christ. It's what Jesus set up. It's how Jesus took those 11 and then became 12 again disciples together and made this thing called church. And Paul refers to the church then as the body. See, the church isn't a building. We know this. It's not an experience, an organisation, a charity, or an enterprise, or even a destination. Because church becomes a thing to be maintained when we see it just as a building. Church becomes something we consume if, it just, if it's just an experience. Church becomes something that needs to be run when it's an organisation. Church has to conform to the world's ideals of generosity when it's just a charity. Church has to be accountable to a board of trustees and turn a profit if it's just an enterprise. Church becomes a leisure activity, get this one, church becomes just a leisure activity when we see it just as a place to go. That one's the important one for me. Because actually the reality is we like to put ourselves, we like to put our lives into sections. We call it, like we say, work, home, school, gym, church, out. Out, out. We like to put in our lives into kind of sections, into convenient sections, don't we? And we act accordingly in each place. And so God gets placed into the church segment. And very often we disregard God in all the other sections. But on the Sunday section of our lives, on the church section, this is where God is. And then for so many of us, me included, I've done this before, we get to Wednesday, Thursday, and we realise, man, I had my hands up in the air, I was singing my life out to God on Sunday, and I've not considered him once for the last three days. That's compartmentalising our life. That's putting God and church into sections. You know what? The fact that church is not an it, it is a we. Church is an us. Because we are the church. We're his body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. So, let's confirm that we are church. Before we go any further, 
let's confirm that we together right here are church. So whenever ever church is mentioned, whether it's on the news, whether it's in school, whether it's in college, whether it's at work, whether it's on the street, whether we read about church, whenever church is mentioned, they're talking about you. So whenever someone rocks up um, on the news and reporting and they are the representative of the church, even if they're a million miles away culturally from where you are, they're still about you. They're still representing you. Whenever anyone talks ill of the church and criticises the church, they are criticising you. Whenever anyone finds a home in a church, finds a refuge in a church, is rescued by the church, they've been rescued by you. We are the church and we can't conveniently put it down and pick it up whenever we want to. Get this. Church is not a part of our lives. We are a part of it. Yeah? Church is not a part of our lives. Our lives are a part of church. We are a part of church. We are part of something bigger. See, if church is just a place, the building becomes a just a, a convenient place to bring your mates to in order for someone else to tell them about Jesus from up here. Like if church is just a place to go to, then we bring our mates to that place, hoping that someone would say something of encouragement, would maybe talk about Jesus and speak of Jesus' love from the front. And then we walk away with them again and we wonder, oh, did that work or not? But the reality is we are church. And the responsibility and the, the call for us to share Jesus with our mates is as is important to you than it is to anyone that ever comes up and speaks up here. It's as much your responsibility as it is these guys, probably even more so. See, on the day of Pentecost, as we, as we celebrate today, the Holy Spirit came and Jesus said, didn't he? He said, I need to leave... I need to go so then I can, because there's someone else coming. The helper is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. Jesus kind of had to step aside. And here's the theory. Jesus kind of like had to step aside. So the disciples stopped relying on him. And they started relying on the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. We need to stop relying on other people to tell our mates and our family about Jesus. And we actually need to start doing it ourselves. Because you know what? We are church and the church is us. That's our role. Hard, isn't it? Tough, scary, inconvenient kind of thing to say, but that's kind of what our mission is as church. Pete Wright was at our church this morning. Love Pete Wright. He came to our church and he talked about mission and he said something golden. I think he even was even quoting his dad. I think it was, but he said this, for some of you, so for some of your unsaved mates and family, salvation is just the other side of your own inconvenience. That was a punch in my stomach. For some of your unsaved mates and family, salvation is just the other side of your inconvenience. Are we ready to be inconvenienced by the Holy Spirit? Are you ready to be inconvenienced by Jesus? To actually step out, take a risk, and share the message of the gospel 
with our friends, with our family, and we can be church. See, in the Bible, church is always a reference to people, not a place. Church is not a building or a day. Church is the walking, talking embodiment of Christ to a world where so many are not fulfilled because they don't know him or they don't love him. They haven't met him yet. See, I'd love to talk a little bit more, but I haven't got time about how church history and how Christendom kind of like almost overtook that word church and it became this thing of authority, a building where people would come and they would listen to someone who was in charge of them doing what I'm doing now and speaking over people and telling them how sinful they were and how if they paid this amount of money then their penance would be paid, etc. And I can't, and like we've made so many mistakes as church. We've distorted what church is meant to be. But the reality is church is just the beautiful bride of Christ, saved by grace, knowing fully that they are not what they are because of their own endeavours, but because of the endeavours of Jesus Christ. We're saved by Jesus. But because we're saved by Jesus, we are the limitless body of Christ, because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, with us at all times. Um, a nun who, who works in Iraq, um, we, uh, as Open Doors, visit, uh, recently visited Open Doors, uh, Iraq. And um, she's an incredible woman. And um, I can't tell you her name because I'm not allowed to because um, it's secret, which is cool. But yeah, um, it is. But she said, like, one, of our, one of our guys was just chatting about, isn't it great when God kind of meets with us and works... Uh, and the times, and isn't it great when we've got these testimonies of the times where we know God has really worked in our lives? And she looked at him like, what? And she said, but God is always here, and he's always working, and he's always acting. This is a woman who's seen her country flattened in the last 15, 20 years by human endeavour, by war. And she's a woman who's seen the church destroyed, whether the attempt for the church to be destroyed by ISIS and the move of other militant groups around that country. And yet she's a woman who can stand there and say, in amongst the rubble of the building that was once her church, God is always here and God is always acting. God is always on the move. See, the Holy Spirit is always moving. How many of you know that wherever we go as church, that place becomes sacred? It becomes a sacred space. It's not like it used to be where certain designated spaces were holy and we take off our super dry flip-flops. I don't know why I said super dry. I didn't need to say that. I just looked at it, saw the logo and said it. Sorry. Um, take off our flip-flops because it's holy ground, like some space is more particularly holy than, than the rest. Actually, because we carry the presence of Jesus with us, wherever we go now, that place is sanctified, is sacred, is a holy space. We can claim that. So if there are places that you are scared to go to, then claim the fact that actually it becomes a sacred space because Jesus is there, because you're there. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, Wherever you go, that place becomes sacred. That place becomes the inner temple. That place becomes a place where God dwells because you're there. Not because you're God, but because God is dwelling within you. We are the church and the church is us.
Come on. See, perhaps the lack of love and power we experience every day is rooted in the idea that we view church and and Christianity as maybe consumer events or things that we do or not a very deep part of our community. I've got to be honest, okay? I struggle with church because, I mean, I grew up in, in church and I saw a whole bunch, as a pastor's kid, I saw a whole bunch of stuff which turned me off from the church. I've seen a lot of hypocrisy in the church because I've just seen, you know, just seen the way that we act, the way that we, we are with ourselves. And I've studied history and understood like the, 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 the wrong side of history that the church has been on. It, it grieves me. But then I also look at the good side of history that the church has been on as well. And we're still writing that history right now. As a church, it's good for us to realise that we are still writing church history right now. In 100 years' time, 200 years' time, people are going to be looking back to the church of the 21st century and saying, what were they doing? What were they standing for? Did they stand for justice? Did they love their enemies? See, this has got to be a part, a deeper part of our identity. What I feel we need to take on this identity of that we are the church. We are Jesus' church. We are the bride of Christ. We need to take this on a bit deeper. But we're more, even more like, in our society now, we are more than ever aware of our identity and who we are. So I am a white, British-born, male, lower-middle-class, able-bodied, post-grad, heterosexual, married, working, Gen Y, 30-something, left-leaning father with two dependents. Thanks. I didn't just read that, honest. Um, so I'm a white, British-born, male, lower-middle-class, able-bodied, post-grad, heterosexual, married, working, Gen Y, 30-something, left-leaning father with two dependents. Every single one of those are a box that I can tick. And they, they, they help the authorities put me into a, into a box to categorise who I am. And actually, they probably help me categorise who I am as well when I talk about the kind of person, when I'm reflecting on the kind of person that I am. But the most important identifier I need to display above all else is follower of Jesus. It's the most important identifier for me. And in fact, there aren't that many tick boxes on any forms that the authorities may send through to say follower of Jesus, apart from the whole, what religion are you, Christian? I always feel like that box needs to be expanded. I need to have like a explain, and then I can explain what I mean by Christian, because it just feels so token just to tick Christian. See, I'm a follower of Jesus first. All else, all of those other categories are second. They come afterwards. I'm the son of the most high first. I'm all else second. The redeemed child of my father in heaven first. All else second. Who is my family? The church is my family. Jesus said this when he was challenged and said, oh, your mother and your, and your brothers are here. And he went, no, 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 no. Here are my, brother and my, bro- my mother and my brothers. When he pointed to the disciples, he said, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know what? That's an encouragement for people who don't have family. That's an encouragement for people who who's, it's a struggle to be a part of the family that you're a part of. Or your family is broken and split up and you don't see much of your family anymore. That's an encouragement because Jesus says, you know what? Who are your family? All of this lot. Welcome to the family. If you didn't realise you were part of a big family, guess what? You are. Hurrah! Your birthday list and present list got a lot bigger. Christmas is going to be a lot more complicated. But guess what? You're part of a big family. Church is family. It's brilliant. I love it. 
Who's my next of kin? Well, I've got then the choice of a few billion to choose from. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other, according to Romans 12, verses 5. Where do I live? I live in the holy presence of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Who's my daddy? Matthew 6 verse 9, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. When the disciples said, Jesus, teach me how to pray, give us your prayer, because each, each like rabbi had a special prayer. So the followers of that rabbi would pray that prayer, and they'd learn that prayer off by heart. So when the disciples were like, cool, we've got a rabbi now, they were like, Jesus, teach us your prayer, the prayer that we can memorise that like, sets us apart. And the first one was this, our Father. Those are the first words that came out. Because Jesus wanted to make it clear to the disciples and to all others, our identity. Wanted to make it really, really clear who we are in Jesus and who we are in Jesus first is we are children of God all of us which then makes us family because we're all related we are all brothers and sisters in God these identify as the most important thing see church is not a part of our lives we are a part of it being being one who is a part of the kingdom of God is far bigger than you can think or imagine. However big you think it is, double it. <laughs> That's still not big enough. It's a massive, significant thing. It's bigger than you could ever imagine. But what's the point? What's the point of church? Because actually, if it's just all about believing, then box ticked. Done. I've often heard it said, you know, what's the point of, of all of this? Why, 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 if it's just about believing in Jesus, why are you still here? Why haven't you just been beamed up to heaven straight away? Because the church has more of a purpose than it just being a club where we get together and share the love with each other, with our neighbours. Jesus said, yeah, okay, love your neighbours, but also love your enemies. We've got a job to do, church. We've got a job to do. Because while we're here and we understand who Jesus is and we experience the Holy Spirit, the power of the creator, creator God inside of us, there are hundreds, thousands of people around, just even in this area here, that don't know it. We've got a job to do. How then shall we live? Colossians 1.24 says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. As you know, as I've already said, Open Doors, we support those that suffer for Jesus, that basically get their butts kicked every day for supporting Jesus, for loving Jesus, for being Christians in countries where it is often illegal to do so. Um, have you got that picture? Tom, thanks, mate. Oh, cool. Look at that picture. Isn't it quality? Uh, quality picture. It's like that for a reason. This is um, a picture that we got sent through of the North Korean church. It's illegal to be a Christian in North Korea. It's illegal to be... Church doesn't exist in North Korea. It does. But officially, church does not exist in North Korea. It's not allowed to exist. If you're caught, even with a slither of Scripture, if you're caught praying... 
If you're caught singing a hymn, any kind of literature to do with Christianity, you'll be thrown into a labour camp. There are estimated between 80 and 85,000 Christians in labour camps right now. They operate a three-tier generational punishment system. So not only if you, if you are found out to be a Christian, then they will take your, your father and your, your, your parents and your grandparents in with you because they want to try and erase all influence of Christianity out of, out of families. North Korea, though, has a very fast-growing church. That's why I love doing what I do, because actually we deal with really tough stories with people getting their butts kicked and being thrown into prison and tortured and killed for their faith. But guess what? The church is growing. The church is growing really fast in those places. It's not coincidental that the church is growing fast in the places where it's being persecuted. This picture is of North Koreans with their Bibles open praying. It's also, why I wanted to show you is because of what they're praying for. They're not praying for themselves. They're not praying for the hardship of their families and their brothers and sisters who've been thrown into labour camps. They're not praying that their authorities, at at that point, they're not praying for their authorities. These guys are praying for Manchester here. This photo was taken the day after the atrocities in Manchester and we got it sent through to us. Blurred out because it's too dangerous for any of their faces to be identified. So even though it looks like a scary, grainy image, this is a group of North Korean secret Christians who got together at great risk. If you imagine there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, there's about eight people plus the person who took the photo in there. Eight people caught praying in a room in North Korea with Bibles open. Three generations of their family, of these eight people, could go into prison. They, at great risk, they got together and they prayed for Manchester. These guys get it. They understand what it is to be church. They understand that they're plugged into something much bigger than themselves. Why do I say this? Because actually we can't love Jesus and, and then not love the church. It's a two-way thing. If you imagine it as Jesus being the left leg and church being the right leg. Like if, we, if we love Jesus but then, but then we don't love the church, then we walk funny. Other way around as well. If we love the church but we're not that bothered about Jesus, then we end up walking funny. I don't know about you, but have you ever had one of those awkward relationships with a couple where you like the one of them, but you don't like the other? Or you love the one, come on, let's be honest. You love the one, but you're not, the other one just can, yeah, I love you, and, but you're married to them, so, oh. you know, like, he's great. I love spending time with him, but his wife, honestly, I don't know what he sees in her. I mean, she's argumentative, moody, lazy, always bickering onto him about something, and she's so needy, never happy, expecting him to do everything. I know I've looked at the church like that before. But you can also love the church, the bride, and be so tied up in the church that you forget about the groom. She's awesome. I love hanging with her every week. She's so much fun. But then he turns up and it all gets a bit serious, talking about the job we have to do and carrying a cross or something. He's such a buzzkill. kill. 
The reality is we need to love Jesus and church in kind of equal measure. I know some of you guys are smiling at me like, yeah, I know people like that. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, there are people that you know that you're like, you love the one person but not the other. Love your enemies, guys. (laughs) I know they're not always your enemies, but you get the point. So we're doing stuff in community, right? Church church is Jesus' idea. Church is not perfect. Church is broken. Church is just a bunch of people following Jesus, right? But we are a bunch of people following Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. If we were just a bunch of people, then we're just a social club. And we're going to be ineffective. But the reality is, the fun, the exciting news is with the Holy Spirit, the power of God inside of us, we can be world changers. We can be Netherton changers first. Dudley changes, black country changes, UK changes, world changes. It starts with understanding the power that we have inside of us because we're part of the church. We are the church and the church is us. And the church is plan A. There is no plan B. If the church doesn't work out, there is no plan B. There's no second bride. Okay? There's no second bride. There's the bridegroom, Jesus, and the bride. There is no second bride. There is no plan B. There's only plan A. We are plan A for the world. We are plan A for the world's salvation. To share that message of Jesus, that message of love with the world. We are plan A. Because we are the church. And the church is us. So, Acts 2, 41 to 47. It's something that we always go to when we talk about church. When we look at what was the real church like, you know, the early church. We go back to the early church. Let's look at what the early church was like when it first formed. And it's a great passage. And it talks about them selling all their possessions and giving as people had need. And they were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship and to eating meals together and then to prayers. There was a sense of awe felt by everyone and many wonders and signs attesting to miracles were taking place through the apostles. But this wasn't just the apostles feeling this. this was the, it started off with there were 3,000 got saved one day and they got added to the church. And then it goes on to talk about what those 3,000 experienced. That word devoted intrigues me. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instructions of the apostles. When you devote yourselves, it kind of means it means wholehearted, or to use a contemporary term, all in. So we can say the church there, they were all in on doing this thing. They were all in on on, on listening to the to the teachings of Jesus, to hearing the stories to being encouraged by the apostles. They were all in on praying. They were all in on worshipping God. They were all in on saying, Holy Spirit, use me. They were all in on using the gifts that the Holy Spirit had given them. They were all in on going out and ministering to people. They were all in on speaking boldly out to their friends and to their families and to people they didn't know in the streets. They were all in on offering prayer. They were all in on offering and asking God to heal people. They were all in. Because that's the nature of the church, right? We are all in. Or we might as well just go home. I'm, I'm not into pew foddery, okay? I'm, I'm, I, there's, 
What's the point? There are much better places that we could spend our Sundays. There are much more fun things to be doing on a Sunday sometimes. Like if it's just about just doing something to do, but if it's about Jesus and if it's about, the, about seeing the world changed, then I'm all in. I'm all in. Are you all in? I realise that I could crack on and probably beat my record for the longest time I've ever spoken here, which was about an hour, wasn't it? So I'm going to stop because I'm tired and I know we're tired and the sun's shining and we want to enjoy maybe a little bit more of the sun before it goes down. But my, my challenge would be that. Are you all in? What it means is not being all in under our own power. As we've spoken about a lot, it's about being all, uh, all in using the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Many of you will know the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. You would have experienced it. You've understood it. You've maybe seen it. You've seen the Holy Spirit work powerfully in your life, in other people's lives. But there's always more. Maybe for some of you, you've experienced it before, but not, in a, not for a while. Maybe you've never experienced it firsthand. Maybe you've experienced the warm and fuzzies of being in the presence of God, but you've never experienced the power of him working in your life, seeing those hard prayers answered. So maybe tonight is the time where we pray and say, God, I'm all in, and I need you to be all in me.